You're listening to The Journey Podcast with Russell Hughes, the show where we share the real journeys of individuals who are crushing it in their industry. Hi guys and welcome back to the Journey Podcast. Today I'm really excited to have um, my guest Sherry Edwards who is a nutrition coach. Um, She is also I would say an entrepreneur at heart because I was looking through some of the stuff and she has got so many amazing things that she does. She's also in fact, it's best, um, Sherry, why don't you tell us about what, what you do and um, a little bit more about the nutrition coach and munchies and macros. Um, okay. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much, Russell, for having me on the show. I'm super excited to be here. Um, as you said, my name is Sherry Edwards. I am a nutrition coach. I started Munchies and Macros, which is a nutrition coaching business um, in the middle of a pandemic. And oh, wow. um, yeah, I, I sort of when I, I've gone through so many different career types and I've always been a bit of a, a sort of like wanting to start a business and you know I did fashion retailing with my husband years ago on the high street and then when that closed down I moved on to a food business making uh, bow buns um, and then that closed down right in the because of the, the pandemic and I thought well I didn't want to go and deliver food and you know, I have to do all of that when I've got two small children that I had to homeschool. So there's a lot of pressure and there's loads going on. So I thought, okay, what can I do that I actually love and I'm really passionate about? And it turns out that I love food and I love fitness. I mean, I've been into fitness most of my life and I've been into food because, you know, I'm from Bangkok, Thailand and Bangkok, as you know, is sort of like food capital of the world. And um, just, just, I sort of fell into it and I put the two together and I started nutrition coaching so that it can help people um, learn to love their bodies again and, and, you know, be active. And so, yeah, nutrition coaching just sort of grew from there. Cool. Um, I also looked up, you've also a co-owner of the hat place. Is that, is that still something that's going on? (laughs) Yeah. So that was the fashion retail business with my husband. So yes, you have done your research. So that was, um, on the high street in Chester. So we don't live very far from Chester. We live in a very small town called Pinamanis. Uh, we're okay. actually I'm surrounded by boxes you can't see in the background but I'm yeah. <laughs> surrounded by boxes we are moving house soon so we're going to move a little bit deeper into North Wales but so yes okay. we had the hat the hat um, place in on High Street in Chester and then we closed that down and then it sort of moved on to the Bow Revolution which was a, a food business and then now Munchies and Macros. <laughs> and sorry two other things I noticed is your yoga instructor I am and also, also a yoga at instructor. Everton Football Club. The blue side. I was. Of- you must have been okay. So I realized I, I don't talk about <laughs> no. that actually, but um, that yeah. So you must have been on on LinkedIn because I, I do have a lot, all of my information sort of like the CV on. So I did. I did teach. Um, That's super cool. Did, it was a really cool gig actually. I did teach um, the Everton footballers, and it's quite embarrassing because when I was called in, um, when I was called in for the job. Matt, who's a head physio there, he's like, you know, are you interested in in teaching yoga for Everton? And I was like, he literally talked for about 10 minutes and he's like, it's going to be a good gig. And I just went, I'm really sorry. What is Everton? I am oh not a football fan. God. I know. <laughs> I came home. If there's any of you Liverpool fans, I'm sorry. So, I mean, Liverpool, Liverpoolians, the Padians. <laughs> oh, yeah. My husband was mortified when I told him, I was like, I must have just completely embarrassed myself, but they didn't care. They just wanted a yoga teacher. And um, so I, I taught there for a good year and then, okay. yeah. That's amazing. Can I quickly just touch on that? Cause I, I play a lot of football um, and I know that I feel really stiff from my hips and I've always tried to do yoga, like try it, you know, watch a YouTube video. And actually it is the most painful and most difficult thing I've ever found. Like, more so than training or going to the gym. So like, do you have any quick advice for us footballers at amateur semi-pro level that like, what, 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 it, what, the, what are the benefits? Cause obviously you, you train the pros. Yes. I would definitely say the thing that people don't often think about is, as you know, people don't think about stretching and sort of preparing the body for, for like, fast paced and quick movements, you know, or like high impact. And they only realize that once they hit their thirties or their forties. And I often get people coming up to me and going, 
I wish I practiced yoga or knew about it or knew the importance of it at a younger age. So you often do get that. But the only advice I can give really is to find time to stretch, even if it's like five to 10 minutes every single day. It's so, so important. And we are all guilty. Like even myself as a yoga teacher, I'm also a weightlifter, a CrossFitter. I, I love Olympic lifting. And as, as a person who tends to be very fast paced, I do get impatient and I do forget to do yoga. So it's mm -hmm. very, very easy to forget. But I think if we create habits where we practice it all the time, even if it's like first thing in the morning or five minutes before you go to bed and turn that into a habit, definitely it makes a huge difference. Okay, cool. So basically um, the journey podcast is kind of like, I'm trying to put together a catalog of amazing people who kind of tell us about their journey. Um, for example, you know, you're obviously a nutrition coach now. I'm really interested to hear about that because I've realized that I want to give back and I'm, I'm hopefully doing that through this podcast and eventually would love to coach people, whether that's through construction or through, you know, stuff in life. I haven't quite figured that out. So, you know, definitely want to try and unpack that a little bit later on in the podcast. But what I'm hoping is to give, you know, young people, older people, you know, the whole spectrum, just inspiration into for example, you, you know, people probably think there's a specific way into getting to become a nutrition coach. You go to university, you, you focus on science and all that sort of stuff, and then maybe have a long career. And I'm not quite sure you could, you probably give me a bit more insight. And then, you know, then you start your successful business. And then as we've heard with you, it completely didn't happen that way. And it, you know, and so that's kind of what I'm hoping to impact, unpack and, and give, inspiration to to people who might want even to be a nutrition coach um so where would you like to start on your journey would you like to kind of go where from where we are now and work backwards or kind of like take us right to the beginning where it will start like where you come from where you're born and go from there um well I'll give you an insight as to what it was like growing up. So I grew up in, I was born in the States, um, in, okay. in California, but I moved to Thailand when I was three. So I consider myself full, fully Thai. I grew up in Thailand and I went to an international school. Now it's funny you say sort of that you want to give back to kids because I wish that I had had the support system that I thought was missing when I was younger. I was not like people think because I'm very, very sporty. I'm a very sporty person. Like I train, you know, like two hours, you know, four or five times a week. And people think that I am naturally athletic. Like nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> I had thick glasses. I had braces in school. I was like the uncool kid. And you'd think because I was uncool, I'd be good at the academic side. I wasn't particularly great at that either. I had ADHD, I mean, I have ADHD, so I had learning difficulties, although that wasn't recognized. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 21 as, as like a fully grown adult. So there's the ADHD in the background, not really being great academically and not being great in school. And you know what it's like in school. And you know, going to school in the eighties and the nineties, kids can, kids, kids are cruel in high school, even now in 2021. Yeah, they're still, That's still what it's like growing up in the eighties and the nineties when you're not great at like maths and you're not great at sports either. Like high school can be a very cool place. So I never kind of like found my thing in school. Mm -hmm. I just sort of, you know, like there were some things that I, I did really enjoy, but I, I never really flourished at anything. Like I loved arts. I I've always been a really creative person and I've always sort of like loved sort of literature, but I was never great at anything. I never stood out in school as anything. And I think if your listeners are the sort of at that age, I think it's really important to understand that just because you haven't felt like you strongly fall into something or you're amazing at anything, it doesn't mean that you're not going to one day find something that you are absolutely passionate about and be amazing at. You know, I'm not saying I am amazing at what I do, but I definitely feel like if somebody had told me that when I was younger, I would at least have the confidence to grow as a person because there's always been this fear. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this fear of failure, you know, is, is hmm. so, it, it, the pull sometimes can be so strong. You've got the imposter syndrome. And then think now that there's all this social media that kids are being exposed to all the time. You've got to look perfect. You've got to, you know, like have a perfect career and, and all of that pressure just mounts onto people. So it's really, really important to recognize that what you see is the sort of like top you know, 1% of the world that is kind of being put out there for the rest of us. And it's just not reality. Yeah, um, so true. 
So yeah. like international school, like what what was that like? Because is, is that like a blend of um, different kids from loads of different places um, and they're all kind of getting put together? Because you're, you're the first um, podcast guest that I've had that went, went to international school. So just like to quickly unpack that, like what, what was that like? So was it multicultural in a way or was it loads of um, mainly Thai or like? I don't think we had any Thai friends actually we didn't really have a lot of Thai friends like they were from all over the world so our friends were from the UK from Europe from you know from India from China they were literally from all over the world okay um so it was it's really yeah I'm, I'm so glad that I grew up in that kind of culture because when as soon as you leave the school and you know you go back to you know your home and in Bangkok or whatever like everyone else is Thai but when you go into school you're sort of dropped into this like multi-cultured place where like all of your friends speak at least two languages everyone speaks like English and Thai because they live in Thailand they probably speak yeah. another language from wherever they're from so that was really interesting yeah okay cool and you said something about like you really love literature and art um it's something that I've kind of noticed on the podcast there's a there's a link between um people saying oh, I didn't really like school I did like this was it because of a teacher that you really liked it or what what was sort of the the thing that it encapsulated captured your attention about art and literature was it can you remember was it te like a specific teacher or a lesson or like I'm just trying I to always I'm just trying to find a link between like all my different guests as to why they specifically felt I think for me in particular it was that I had a learning um difficulty uh, I, I realize I think it's like a learning disability but it's not because ADHD is not a disability it's just a learning difficulty and I think because I had that I could never latch on to something and I was always really afraid of authority so all of the teachers in school frightened me I was always really scared of them so I never really had a great rela relationship with any of the teachers but okay. I think I loved literature and I loved art because it was the one thing where I could create a world in my own head and okay. like, I'm making myself sound like I was really great at art. I was not. Okay, I was just no, no, doing no. anything that I really did enjoy. But I okay. think I could just create this like sort of imaginary world in my head, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does make yeah. sense. Okay, cool. So then you leave international school. How how do you then like what, what age do you leave in international school? So graduated at 18 and then went to a Thai university and then cool. studied Bachelor of Arts. So it was even more literature and then sort of just fell in love with more reading and more writing. And that sort of became like something I really loved. And I pretty much started teaching yoga when I was just, I think when I just graduated from university. So I've taught yoga for like 19 years and sort of health and and um, fitness and that sort of just started to come together for me yeah okay cool and so how did you get yoga how did you even turn into a yoga teacher like just started doing it really good at it kind of yeah just started practicing yoga started the classes and realized how much I loved it and just decided that I wanted to get myself qualified because it was something that seemed really fun at the time. Um, so yeah, I got myself um, trained at 21 and then just started teaching at various studios and absolutely loved it. It's, it's I mean, I, I guess you could argue that that's the only job that I've kept for more than like two years. You know, I've been teaching for, for 19 years. I mean, I, I definitely don't teach full-time now. My, my full-time job is as a nutrition coach and as a mother. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't teach that much yoga now, but it is the one thing that I sort of kept, you know, around. Okay. Amazing. Um, so yeah. So like what happens then? So you're just like doing yoga for 19 years. When did you kind of like move over to the UK? Did you, did you, were you, did you stay in Bangkok that whole time just teaching yoga? Like what's going on in Sherry's life? Like as you're so progressing through. Yeah, so from 21 onwards, I just kept teaching yoga. I also, my full-time job um, in Thailand was I, I worked on television and that's actually how I met my husband, funny enough. Um, so I worked on television as a, a TV host and I did some acting, um, but the majority of the work was, was television hosting. 
and taught yoga as, as a part-time job and then met my husband on a, on a movie set because our movie production company was, had hired sort of like an underwater team and he was a diving instructor and that's sort of how we met. So fell in love and then moved over here, had a baby over here and that's sort of how life in the UK started. And because I moved over here as, as a heavily pregnant woman, I didn't have any friends. I couldn't drive a car because I literally just had a baby. Then yoga was the only thing that I knew that I could teach. And that was a relatively, I mean, that was 11 years ago. Yoga was still kind of new in, in like the North. So um, there weren't a lot of teachers in the sort of Manchester area at the time. And I just sort of fell into that and it just kind of started from there. Sorry, so you moved over with your husband because he got a job or you got a job? Yeah, like... so he got a job. Um, my husband is a is a solicitor. In, I mean, he's not a practicing solicitor okay. anymore, but that's sort of what his thing is. And um, move over, he moved over here and he started, you know, doing his, his thing. And I just wanted something to do other than being a mother. And so I, I started teaching yoga once a week and it sort of just grew from there. Okay, cool. Well, look, I'm, I mean, you're flying through your life like quite, quite, <laughs> <laughs> quite quickly. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, the bowel revolution? Obviously, you were the hat place um, and then obviously COVID hit you, well, hit every all of us. And what what was the transition? You, you, you spoke a little bit about how you didn't really want to transition what what the bowel, the next step would have been, which was delivering food out and about. And then you decided, well, actually, do you know what? Did you just ha- had your children or was this did you had you had your children before you started the bowel revolution so bowel revolution is relatively new bowel revolution didn't even last for a year i don't think i think i started the bowel revolution in the summer of 2019 and was it a year old so yeah so why did you start it yeah like what what was the story behind that so the story behind the bowel revolution was that we had closed the hat shop and because I'm always looking for something to do. I had already started writing a business plan as we were closing the hat place because I knew that obviously we were going to need money and I needed something to do. I always need to have a focus because if I don't, then I just, I I, I don't not, I don't like not having a focus. So I said, okay, I'm going to do something. And my husband said, well, why don't you do something to do with food? Because you've always loved food. I love cooking. I love creating recipes. So I came up with this concept about revolution. And it absolutely took off. Like I, it, I was just absolutely surprised by it. But as a person who wasn't naturally great at running business, I was great in the kitchen and I was great at creating these stuff and making them look good in the food photography and that looked great, but I couldn't scale up from there. So I just did food events. I would go to the North Wales food event and then we would sell out. It would be really good. And then I just go to the next event and then just sort of hopped on from there to there. And then I did a few in Chester and that did fantastically well as well. But then we had one final event and that was when everyone's going, Ooh, is the event going to happen? Because are we going to go into lockdown? We had the event on, I think it was like the 19th or something of, of March. And then we closed like the UK went into lockdown, like the weekend after that. So I feel like we got pretty lucky. I sort of took what I needed to take from the business. And in the lockdown, people were sort of asking if I would deliver. And at first I thought about it, but then it meant that I would have to cook and then get my husband to drive and deliver the food and then somehow have to figure out how, figure out how we're going to homeschool two kids as well in a pandemic. And I just thought, you know what? I don't think that I can do this. It was just not it wasn't a scalable business because I didn't have enough staff and I just wanted my mental health to be intact as I was homeschooling the kids. And I wanted them to get as much out of the homeschool because people talk about how stressful it is for adults. People forget how emotional children get as well. They don't get to see their friends. They go from seeing their friends and running around in the outdoor every single day to being cooped up in a house and they're confused. And there's all these emotions going on. And I said to my husband, we sat down and I said, we can't do this. We just literally have to just suck it up, just give the kids the best, you know, of our attention as we possibly can. And that's how the idea of, you know, like I I sort of just fell into this 
um, nutrition coaching. And it was really by chance because we had before I'd started the nutrition coaching, I thought that I was going to get myself certified so that I could know what kind of things to put in a cookie. Because I thought, well, maybe I'll do a cookie business. That might be easier. I can, you know, cookies are easier to make than bao buns. And as I was doing the nutrition coaching um, portion, the, the certification, I realized that this is sort of my calling. I think that I could be really, really good at this because I love teaching people and I love, you know, putting food together and, um, and fitness. And that's literally how it grew from there. Okay. Um, I have a couple of questions, you know, obviously that takes quite a lot of courage to kind of like, just make a decision. You've started a business, obviously it had like instant success. And then to obviously you made the decision, made it very clear for you because of your children, but like, what sort of advice do you have for people? Cause you know, I've really struggled um, in the last sort of year. Like I had a similar story lockdown. I really took my business seriously and I had head down focused and it grew so much, um, you know, from two builders to 30 builders now. And it's so intense and so much pressure. And like, what advice do you have for, for people sometimes, you know, cause it might not be working out. Like in my case, I do feel like it is working out, but you know, like it takes a lot of courage and obviously your children helped you get clarity on, on, on the decision. But I mean, what would you say to say a young person or someone who's had a successful business, maybe gone through, a process that doesn't make it viable for their life anymore and have the courage to basically be like, you know what, this isn't working for, for me or it's not going to work for our family. And even though I've had this great success and I can see it, you know, moving forward, like how for you, I, I get that you had the clarity with your children, but like what advice would you give? Cause you know, it's quite a difficult thing to, to quit. Not a lot of people, they see that as failure they would see that and like beat themselves up and they might not then have the confidence to, to, to start over again, like you have. So, I mean, I, for me, I get, I get how clear it was for you because your children and, and that's obviously the most important thing, your family, your husband and stuff. So, but do you have any advice from kind of going through that experience and like th from the experience you had, because you seem like you're just seamlessly like, yeah, I was, I, I just moved to England. I started this thing. I was doing a hat. You're making everything seem so really like easy and simple, but you know, as, as everyone knows, you know, it's not that simple. Um, do you have any sort of advice or sort of words of wisdom or any, any things that you took away from, from, from that whole experience um, that we could maybe pass on to our listeners? I, the one thing that I have learned in all of this is that every time you think that you are failing and this might just be personal, but to me, it's like every time I thought I was failing and I came out the other end, I'd realized that I wasn't failing. I was actually growing as a person, as a business person, as a mother, as an athlete, every single time I fail. I'm realizing that it's not actually failure. It's just feedback. It's telling you what isn't working. And I think that mindset shift is incredibly powerful when you realize anytime you see something as you're falling backwards or you're failing or something as plateauing, you have to extract information from it, whether it's tangible and factual information or your emotions, you've got to take something out of that and look at it as from the most logical standpoint as possible and say, what can I learn from the situation that I am in and what can I do about it? So a lot of sort of the, the coaching that I do. So people think, oh, as a nutrition coach, you tell people what to eat, 30 grams of chicken breast and this and that, you give me rest. That is not what I do. I've become pretty good at helping people realize that they can grow despite the the circumstances and the challenges that they're faced with and the way that we do that is that you look at your current situation and you look at three things you look at what is completely out of your control you look at what is kind of in your control and you look at something that you are 100% in control of and then you break them down into the things that you can change and the things that you cannot change. So for example, the pandemic, we cannot change the pandemic. There is nothing we can do. If COVID-19 wants to come in, it wants to come in. There is nothing we can do. 
maybe some things that you could potentially change. And I know that there are a lot of people that sign petitions. So if you think that there is something that you can put your name on or something that you can kind of change. So for example, signing a petition or, you know, like finding out that maybe that there is some sort of community support for local businesses, that kind of stuff. If there is something that you can be a little bit in control of, then you can control it. Now, I always talk about thinking and feeling as something that you cannot control. You can't control the way you think and you cannot control the way you feel. For example, if I say to someone, don't think of a pink elephant, you're gonna think of a pink elephant, but you can control your actions that come out of those feelings. And then when you break all of those things down and you're looking at your situation, so we go back to failure and you're like, I've just tried to start this business. I put every single thing, I put all my eggs in one basket and I feel like I am failing. That feeling can be very, very real to you. And I 100% understand this because I have failed so many different businesses before I got to this point. And I'm still learning how to run a business, right? I'm still learning how to be an entrepreneur. But then you sit back and you take all that information back and you say, What's out of my control? What do I have some control over? And what do I have full control over? And then you pull that information back and then you sit from that point. And then you have to think, you're gonna have to make the decision that makes the most sense for your life in, in this sort of position that you are in now. Okay, wow, that's um, amazing advice. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, I mean, what, from a nutrition perspective, like how does someone apply that to their life? Like what, what the, I was looking at your, your website, munchiesandmacros.com and you'd offer two sort of services and um, you do the 12 week program and then the one hour sort of session. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you created those programs and like how you essentially applied that, that sort of thinking and mindset to give clarity ultimately to the people who you're helping. Cause I was looking like uh, at all of the testimonials and, you know, it's amazing to see that you've, uh, you know, I kind of get what you're saying and can feel sort of the passion, but very clear, you know, a lot of coaches I've, I've had a lot of coaching sessions with various different people and in, in me trying to get to where I have. And um, you seem very, you know, you, you kind of like wipe away all the bullshit and kind of just say it as it is. So like, how did you, get to that point where you're just like creating clarity for your for your different programs um I 100% believe in coaching I have two coaches I have a business coach and I have a, a mentor who's also sort of like a coach but like on the nutrition side of things and this is why I'm so passionate about coaching because I feel like I would be lost without them and, you know, to answer your question, like, how did I come up with these two different plans? It was through my business coach, not telling me what to do or how to do more. She's asking the right questions so that I am answering them and I'm finding the answers out myself. So there are two, the, the two coaching plans are, I coach athletes. Um, I mean, I coach master's athletes. So whether or not that's sort of your listeners demographics, I, I don't know, but master's athletes. So basically anyone from 35 up, um, predominantly I like to work with the over forties. And the reason why I focus on the over forties is because I myself is, I am an over 40 athlete. Um, and I know the struggles of, you know, like a parent that, that you're at a certain age and then, you know, your body's sort of falling apart because you've got kids and you just, you've got a million things going on and life is very stressful. So all of that added on to, to knowing how to eat the right foods and either overtraining or, you know, that kind of stuff, it can kind of get on top of you. So the sort of 12 week plan is to help somebody create better habits and good behavior around food, because you often get people going, I eat perfectly Mondays through to Fridays, but I'm not losing the weight or I'm not getting the results. Well, then you have to look at what you're eating from the Friday night through to the Saturday through the, through to the Sunday. So, and, and when you see that it's like their diet is sort of very inconsistent and a little bit all over the place. Whereas people who um, hop onto the one hour intensive call, those people tend to be um, athletes that have a very pretty good relationship with food that just want to know, okay, how do I eat for um, optimal performance? That's more, hence why it's called performance catalyst because it's there to teach you how to eat to optimize your performance. 
people don't realize how important um, meal timings can be for performance. So if you've just done one to three hours of training, it's not about, it is about what you're eating within the 24 hour period, but you need to focus on the peri carbs. So that's sort of like the pre-workout, the intro workout and the post-workout. The post-workout arguably is probably the most important because that is essentially your recovery meal. If you don't eat well enough to recover, you're not gonna be able to train as hard the next day. So instead of putting your body through the stress that it needs to increase um, PBs and get better and faster and, and lift heavier, instead of like putting the right amount of stress on your body is putting too much stress and you're not recovering. When you're not recovering, you're not performing your best. Your best. So basically that's sort of like the two different plans. One is more just to kind of teach someone how to specifically eat. And the other one, the 12 week plan, the longer one is more about habits and, you know, obviously helping to people to change their body composition as well, but more geared towards people who need a little bit more coaching on how to cope with their emotions around food, how to improve the relationship with their body and so on. Okay. Really cool. And I saw your husband was your first um, client. Okay. He was, <laughs> I saw yeah. and he looked, he's like ripped. Is he still ripped now? Or did he like he quit is. after he, that? Yeah, he is. A, he's a phenomenon really because. Yeah, I saw. I, I was like, he looks like he's come out of the army. I was like, what I know. The hell? <laughs> and he's 43. I, I can't sustain that yeah, body. You both, but it's, you both don't yeah. look that age at all, but Thank I must you. say. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot going on. There's, there's genetics. There's the fact that we both don't, um, we don't have a stressful nine to five job. We don't have to get in our cars and drive somewhere. We literally work at our desk and our gym is our home gym. So we can literally walk 10 steps over. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we have created sort of a little pocket that makes things easy for us. You know, I, I feel very grateful, but I feel like I have to make that clear as well. Like we are able to sustain these results because it's sort of easy for us because we don't have to travel far to the gym. Some people are like, how do you find the motivation to go to the gym or to exercise? I'm like, because I don't have to sit in the car for, you know, 20 minutes to drive to the gym. And when I'm tired, I walk over to my gym and I do a few, a few squats. And by then you're in it. So you have to do it. So it's yeah. not about motivation for us. And, and, but I do understand the struggles for, for people who do have you know, a nine to five job and, and have to really motivate themselves to get out of the house, to go to the gym. It can and, be great. and you guys train together? We do. We train together. Yeah. Yeah. Together. So yeah. The, the, the mantra couples train together, stay together is, is very true. It is very strong. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, yeah. So I have one, one other question I kind of wanted to unpack from what you were saying. Um, so like, training at the moment you know you said it's all about habits so i'll use myself as an example um so like once i get into a rhythm i was reading one of your posts actually you know it's about creating a habit and then sort of building that habit for a long period of time um and then once that habit is no longer you know you don't need to, it's an on automatic that's when you really then can start to go to the next habit and i'm 100% guilty of like i'm all or nothing so like you know go for a period and then you realize shit my life is shit i'm really stressed i haven't got it in balance i'm not really connected with my fiance i haven't seen my mom like it's just all over the place like work is just stress and all i'm doing is work 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 i'm not being present and then all of a sudden you'd be like bam okay i'm going to change my life da -da 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 -da. <laughs> so then you like yeah. go sit down like one sunday you write down all your goals some people do this every every new years and then you like as you as your post says i'll write 10 things down right i'm going to train three times a week i'm going to go running i'm going to go see my mom every weekend i'm going to spend time with my niece da, 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 da. and then so then you end up with this unrealistic list that Correct. is unsus unsustainable um and like at the moment i'm doing a high performance coaching with um one of the guys who was on my podcast lee, lee evans and he was saying how there's high achievers and then there's high performance. High performance is all about sustaining and looking after your energy infrastructure, getting clarity on what you're about, you know, and essentially there's, there's five pillars um, that you, like anyone listening can go and listen back, but it's about managing all these things so you can have a very balanced life. You know, high achievers are always about, I'm going to get all of this done and like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that and not managing their sleep or hydration and all these important things that really kind of make you sustain your life and, and, and 
have it gradually improve. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming um, that nutrition and also like training and what you talk about in terms of habits is, is so important. So what sort of advice kind of can, can you give? Is it like one habit at a time and how long, how long should you do that habit before you introduce the next one? Um, so like at the mo- moment I'm training, getting up at six in the morning and I'm like trying to train for an hour and a half rain, sleet, snow, whatever. And, and I'm doing that on a Monday and a Friday because before I tried to do it, I was doing it four days a week. And I noticed, you know, I went out drinking once with my friends after lockdown ended and it's like, I, I didn't go back again. And I find the other thing I'm trying to figure out, and I, I don't know if you might know the answer to this is like, why is it after one bender or one big night out that all your habits go in the bin and then you like you feel like you're starting from scratch again? Is it nutrition? Is it something that alcohol does to your brain? Does it like, I don't know if you know the answer, but I'm sure there's loads of young um, people listening to this or in the future listening to this that would love to get your insight on that. I would love to be able to answer that. I don't know if I can because I don't, I'm a teetotaler. I, I don't drink alcohol at all so I I don't always been like that I have so I don't not because I've always been healthy just because I just don't drink alcohol I just don't you know I mean it's not like I don't my vices are sort of like chocolate and crisp so it's not like you know there's literally like no shade on anybody that my husband drinks you know that all of my friends drink I just I just don't drink so I don't understand the feeling that you guys get when you wake up in the morning and you feel groggy (laughs) but I do coach people who do go you know on like a Friday night and, and they feel awful they wake up out of it and I think a lot of it is to do with mindset. So whether we're talking about alcohol or we're talking about Chinese takeout or we're talking about fish and chips, whatever it is, our this is human nature. We tend to, and this is the first thing I break down when somebody comes onto the plan. There is no such thing as good food and bad food. Mm-hmm. If food has been manufactured to go into the human body, it is literally factually energy. There's no bad energy, good energy. It is literally factually, it's just food, right? Okay. But what happens is that we as humans and their social media, you know, is just as guilty as that. We tend to say, oh, chocolates and crisps, they're bad for you. Kale is good for you. Spinach is good for you. And what that does is that it labels foods and it makes us feel guilty when we eat things that are not good or we mm-hmm. eat things that are bad. So we'll say I eat great from Mondays through to Fridays, and then I go out drinking. And because we've told ourselves drinking is bad, eating fast food is bad, you eat it, you feel guilty, and you're like, oh, well, I've eaten it now. I've fallen off the wagon. It's all or nothing. I'm just <laughs> going to keep eating, 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 eating. And then you feel bad, and then you come out the other end the next day feeling terrible because you put all this you know, processed food in your body, you put all this alcohol in. And yes, it might not be great for your body. But if you just eaten the one meal, or maybe just had one beer, you'd probably wake up the next day feeling absolutely fine. But because we binge, because we've restricted food the entire week, or some people go four weeks on a, a, you know, a a diet or whatever it is, it's restricting their favorite foods. Once they eat it, they don't just eat one, they just eat and eat and eat until they feel awful. So that's basically sort of the, the binge cycle that that I see. And so my job as a nutrition coach is to break that cycle. And we do that by as soon as somebody, as soon as somebody comes on supply I say, don't restrict any food. I had a gentleman who came on supply and he said, I drink probably a can of beers, sometimes three every night. And I would like to stop doing that. And I said, okay, if you want to stop doing that, then you can drop. So let's just say, let's just for argument's sake, say you had one can of beer, every single night for seven nights. I know that the gentleman drinks more than that, but let's just say you average it out one can of beer, seven nights. Can we drop that down to six cans of beer per week? Can we drop then when you get used to that feeling, can we drop it down to five? Then can we drop it down to four? I would never say completely give it up because if you gave up something that you absolutely love and you got to the end of the 12 week plan, what do you think is going to be the first thing that you reach for when you're done? And what would have been the purpose? there you would not have learned anything so you want to create better habits and you want to be consistent with that and to answer your question to go back to what you're asking like is it better to just create one habit or is it 
better to create a million things. I think most of us already know the answer. You can spread yourself out too thin and there is absolutely nothing wrong with having goals, you know, whether it's your birthday goals or, or new year's goals. If you have 10, write down 10, but pick one. So for example, if you have 10 goals and you say, I want to lose 10 pounds or 10 kilos by a certain amount of time. And then the other one, as you say, I want to spend more time with my mom or some people say, I want to write letters and, you know, all of these things, list your goals out and then pick one that you want to work on and then split that one goal into five subsections. So for example, somebody comes up to me and says, I want to lose 10 kilos. And so that goal is then divided into, okay, if you want to lose 10 kilos by X amount of time, what are the things that you can do monthly to achieve that? What are the things that you can then do weekly to achieve that? And then break it down even more. What are the things that you can do daily to achieve that? So we'll break that down and we'll say, can we add two fistfuls of vegetables to your diet every single day. And you repeat that every day until it feels natural. And then you add one more thing. Can you drink two more glasses of water? Can you consume lean proteins every day? And so you're creating these tiny little habits that at first you're like, oh yeah, that's easy. I can do that. But when it's easy and you achieve those things, success breeds success and you feel motivated to do even more. And you're like, oh, okay, this is easy. As opposed to, okay, I want you to go to the gym five times a week. I want you to do one hour of cardio a week. It seems impossible because in our heads, when we first do it, we're like, oh yeah, you're pumped and you want to do it. But then when you create these goals that are unrealistic, realistic, yeah. and you don't achieve them. You get to the end and you just feel deflated. What's the point? So make the goals almost laughable and so small and so silly that when you do it, you're like, oh yeah, well, I told myself I was going to drink, you know, three glasses of water every day. And I've done that. Well, what's next? Eat your vegetables, eat your protein, then start exercising or whatever it is that you want to do and make the goals super small and super achievable and prove to yourself that you can do that without fail every single day. Cool. Thanks for that. That's, um, yeah, I'm going to start applying that tomorrow. <laughs> um, <laughs> for sure. So one thing you said that you can eat anything like, so is that obviously in line with making sure that you're doing training and obviously not binging? So are you saying, cause a lot of people say cheat meals, you know, a lot of the, the nutrition plans that you see and like other coaches and a lot of the stuff that's in the mainstream media, it's like train, 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 hit training. And then you're allowed one cheat meal a day. So are you basically saying that, you don't we do, there is no such thing as a cheat meal in the nutrition diet it's sort of when you're coaching it's literally you can eat what you want just obviously just be a bit more balanced and it's is there a link to how much exercise you do to sort of how much of the stuff how do you measure as you said it's to you you see it as energy and that makes so much sense now um the way you've put that out and um, i'm obsessed with the word energy at the moment and like trying to really understand people's energy food and as soon as you said that, it clicked. And so if someone is looking like a McDonald's meal, is there a, it, you know, there's a certain amount of energy. So do you measure that in terms of the calories that's written? Because I saw one of your posts was like um, the mac and cheese. And you were like, yeah, um, this is not apparently for a woman, but, you know, you eat a whole pack. You're eating a family Correct. size. So like, can you kind of unpack that a little bit for, yep. for, for us? And um Okay, so that's a really excellent question. I'm so excited to explain this. So first of all, my clients are already athletes, right? So you, this is not general advice. I can give general advice just in a second, but I want to make clear that when I coach athletes, I would not give the same advice to an athlete as I would give advice. And I always use my mom as an example because she's 70 and she doesn't exercise. So for me to say to someone who exercises, my clients will train anywhere between five for the, the lower ones to, to 14 hours. Some of them train like 17 hours a week because they're really high performers. So I will tell these guys, as soon as you're done training to eat a handful of gummy bears, because they need that immediately to hit their bodies because their glycogen levels are so low. I would tell my mother, to eat brown rice and broccoli and chicken, right? And obviously if she wanted to eat sweets, I could say, eat the sweets, but minimize it, right? So there is a sense of balance. Now to ask, to answer your question about cheat meals, 
I personally don't believe in cheat meals. I tell my husband off for using the word cheat meals. I'm like, if you have to cheat on your diet, why are you on the diet in the first place? And, yeah. and it's not about being on a diet. It's about being on a, a sort of, you know, um, what's the word, like mindfulness and, and awareness of what you are eating. So what we do know now is if um, there's a, a book called Burn by Herman Ponsner, Ponser, Ponser, um, excellent book about how our metabolisms work. He's um, a evolutionist. I just don't know exactly what he's the evolutionary archaeologist, something like he studies the, the um, human uh, energy and metabolism in, in primates and in, in humans. And what we know now, according to his studies is that, and some other studies is that it's not about just eating a donut and then burning off the donut. That's like super simplified. And it has to be simple to, to the lay person because nobody wants to read books about numbers and, and, and science is just too clunky. So we've just simplified it. We've just said, okay, in order to um, burn off a Mars bar, for example, you have to run three laps of X and X. Really in reality, our metabolisms do not work that way. Okay. Two people who weigh exactly the same and are mm -hmm. the same height and are the same gender and the same age can eat exactly the same food every day for a week. And one person could lose weight. The other person could not lose any weight at all, or maybe even gain weight. And the reason why that is because our metabolisms are different. Our metabolisms are um, guided by so many different things. I mean, how much sleep you get, um, how much stress you're, you're going through, how much lean body mass there is in your body, your hormones, so many different things in our bodies. So to assume that just because you eat a cookie or you eat a donut and you can just go to the gym and burn it off is incorrect. And that in itself, not that it's just incorrect and it's potentially damaging because what happens is that people connect the two and they say, if I eat this, I can just go to the gym and burn it off. So you have this unhealthy relationship between food and your body and exercise. So instead of exercising because it feels good to the body and exercising because it is good for you, you're exercising as punishment. I'm a bad person because I ate that cookie and I deserve to go to the gym and I deserve to you know, do a million burpees until I feel ill. That's not the point of exercise. Exercise is supposed to make you feel great about yourself or perform better or make you proud of yourself or, you know, being able to like hit your last PB or run really fast or perform really good, right? So going back to metabolism, when we talk about energy in versus energy out, there is so much that goes on in your body from the moment a donut goes into your mouth to the time it comes out. So understanding that each person's energy needs is completely different is very, very important. So there's no, there's no one size fits all. You know, you hear a lot about keto is an excellent um, uh, diet. Paleo is an excellent diet. There, it might work for one person, but it might not necessarily work for someone else. Does that sort of make sense? Am I going yeah, yeah. a little bit? No, 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 it makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm just uh, taking it all in and just, it's amazing to hear um, it's the first time I've heard anyone talk about, you know, energy and the diet in such a sort of clear way. And, and like, yeah, I understand it fully and I'm sure the listeners will as well. And yeah, I'm actually blown away because it's, it seems very, actually very simple. Um, a lot of the science and the books and society and magazines and everything, like my fiance, she reads loads of stuff and she's always like, trying to do a diet or exercising or running and, and like, it's so confusing and you, you know, you just made it really very clearly simple. So it's just like, depending on how much you train or how your meta metabolism is working will determine how much food you need after the training. And there is no such thing as a cheat meal. It's you take what you need within reason. So don't eat McDonald's four times four times a day and not train and expect to have an amazing body because you're not burning any energy and your metabolism is a major factor in that. And it's influenced by so many different things, stress, sleep, um, lifestyle, basically. So yeah, that makes perfect sense. And actually the last, um, 10, 10, like last 10 days, I feel great. Cause I've like training and I feel like I've got loads more energy but I'm and the reason why I'm doing that is because I realized like I am under so much stress and pressure at work um and I realized it was really starting to affect everything around me and training has 
like, even though it seems like I should be more tired, it gives me more energy and I don't seem as stressed. I've read loads of books on stress. You know, your relationship to stress will either give you a heart attack when you're older. But if like, if you have a belief like I do that, you know, it doesn't affect me, you know, because I have a positive relation to it. You know, I know that when I'm stressed and as long as it's not affecting my life and my family in, in, in a negative way or too negative way, then it's not something I need to worry about. But I guess what I was going to say is, do you think then like I'm really stressed at the moment I'm working out or everyone who have seen the last five days be like, Russell, you look really skinny. Are you, are you okay? Like even my fiance's friends who we haven't seen for like a year, they were like, Russell's really skinny. And I was like, I was looking at myself. I feel really good. And I feel like amazing. So it's really interesting I was wondering, like, it must be because I'm quite stressed at the moment because I'm positively charged and like working out at the same time. I feel great. And when I look at myself, I feel great. But for everyone else, I might be looking a little bit um, slimmer than I than I normally am. So, yeah, I guess that's I've answered my question. (laughs) I think the key is knowing um, your own body. Right. So I as as a coach, I don't tell people how to feel and specifically how to eat because as you say everybody is different but what I do as a coach is I ask them the right questions so that they can go oh yeah I feel good and I I feel better so it's it's looking at you know your food choices and how much energy you have you know like and it's not just energy when you're exercising I will ask them how is your energy day to day when you go to work do you feel good and sometimes they'll say yeah I feel great or sometimes it's like well I don't feel so good and I'm not um, sleeping very well. Well, let's let's break that down and let's let's explore that a little bit. Why are you having a bad week? Is it because you're stressed out, or is it physically what you were eating or what you were not eating? So it's it's looking at at all of that and talking about how you were saying your fiance is doing all of the studying. It's interesting because people do people do a lot of research when people come to you as a nutrition coach. They already know loads of information because Google, right? Like yeah. there's Wikipedia, there's Google, there's all these like articles that you can read and some of it is true some of it is not but there is bucket loads of information out there and it can be very very confusing and you know I go back to saying keto is great for one person but it might be terrible for you so it's understanding what your body needs but what we do generally know what we do know is that the more varied your diet is the better is going to be. So I'm going to say this as a very wide scale, whether you are an active athletic person or whether you are more of um, someone that sort of sits at a desk at 95 and you don't exercise, that's fine. Whatever kind of lifestyle you have, the more varied your diet is, the better it's going to be. So for this reason, I tend to, to recommend that people don't restrict food. And when I say restrict, I mean anything. So don't restrict sugars, don't restrict gluten, don't restrict dairy, just because your friends are doing it. And and somebody says it's the best diet in the world. Restrict only if you know factually that it is something that you are allergic to or something that that you cannot consume for for whatever reason. Um, But if you can consume a a varied diet, because micronutrients and vitamins, those things are found in, in loads of different foods. So by being able to expose yourself to different kinds of foods, then you are likely going to have a balanced diet and therefore have better health. So what's your view then on like people who are vegetarian or vegan, but not for sort of animal rights reasons or, or necessarily maybe worried about climate change or, you know, some of the woke reasons that people choose to go in a specific um, path. So like at the moment, we've been vegetarian for like seven months and it was more just wanting to create a new habit and like challenge ourselves. And we've done it. And initially we were like, oh my God, this is going to be so challenging. And it it hasn't been that challenging because there's so much amazing food like and my relationship to to vegetarians and vegetables has completely changed I'm so glad I've done it and like I'm definitely going to eat meat again like you said and especially after this phone call I might go and buy steak (laughs) (laughs) but um like what's what's your view on 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 those sort of people who specifically maybe choose um to be vegetarian or vegan for for less woke reasons and more because they think it's actually a healthier way of living um etc because you know like I've been doing it now quite um seven months 
And like the only thing I, I'm, we're invited to a wedding soon. And I was just like, I've got to have some steak. Cause my friend was like, it was either squash or like this amazing banging French steak. And I was just like, <laughs> come on, like this is not happening to me <laughs> again. But I mean, do you have like, without sort of, I know this sometimes people get worried about offending other people, but like, I mean, like just say, say how, how it is, but what's your view on that? Like, do you, do you feel there's, people who are vegetarian or vegan might be lacking in, in, in why, if their reason is to be solely healthy um, and, and not other sort of reasons, you know, that I've mentioned. It's so obviously whatever diet you choose is a personal reason. And I, and I know you were saying you're very adamant to say that we're not talking about for moral reasons, for yeah. ethical reasons, right? So you're saying yeah. people who choose to have a vegan diet or vegetarian diet because they think it's better for their bodies, right? Yeah. So specifically answering that you can have a healthy body and you can have a healthy diet on any kind of diet. You can do it whether you are a vegetarian or whether you are a vegan or whether you are a meat eater. So it's more about the foods that you choose. So 100% you can be very healthy on a vegetarian diet and a vegan diet, but you can also equally be as healthy as a person who eats meats. Granted, they eat vegetables as well, not just meats on its own. Yeah. So on in the opposite scale, you can have vegans and vegetarians that just snack on donuts and you do have, you know, like KFC range. I didn't even know this, but apparently a KFC does like a vegan range. So that sort of, I thought was, um, <laughs> ironic but yeah. um you know i i mean i wrote a blog about we have considered me and my husband as well because we saw sea spiracy i don't know if you've seen oh it. my god we watched that my goodness we, right we went I vegetarian 100 yeah. oh i have given up fish okay not have 100%. you i've had fish once did you see the salmon thing the salmon oh my god after watching that scottish salmon i almost threw up we were literally like like no <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I love fish and I would eat fish every single day, but I watched that. My husband is a diving instructor and he's very, very passionate about marine life. And he was just, after he saw that, he was so, Same. just so sad. And he's just like, we cannot eat fish anymore. So we oh, literally yeah. gave him a fish. So I said to my husband, I'm like, babe, I but really need sushi. Can I just have it once? <laughs> so I have had sushi once since watch, watching it. But did he answer you? So I wrote a blog about how to make better choices or how to transition into a plant-based based diet so where, where can we find that can, sorry where can we find that blog so that's on the munchies and macros website it's um okay. i think it's called how to how to get enough protein as as a um plant-based dieter or something like okay, that cool, but cool. yeah so that'll list the things that you can eat as a plant-based dieter and it will talk about protein and why protein is important where you can find protein but essentially it outlines the same thing you can be healthy whether you are a vegan or whether you are in, um, uh, a non-vegan. So it's more about the, the food choices that you make. And obviously, we, we know that cellulose, so um, vegetable cells, cannot actually be absorbed by the body. So if you do consume um, vegan foods, likely your body is going to excrete it out more than somebody who is eating meat. So mm -hmm. if you are um, an exerciser and say you do endurance um, exercises and you're training three hours every day, you will likely need to eat even more food yeah. than somebody um, you know who already does consume animal meats or animal products. Or I would also maybe suggest that they... Um, supplement with vegan protein so you will get pea protein that kind of stuff the other option i would go with is if people felt like a non-vegan or non-plant-based diet was not sustainable they are there are micro farming and this is a, such an exciting and um I've seen it. yes so micro farming because it's super sustainable and we have um i've got like sachets of uh cricket powder um cricket um snacks that kind of stuff because it it is like a, a smidge of of you know the environment that is damaging in in and how much it, it creates like say 27 grams of, of protein from a cricket as opposed to from a cow so that's another option to go with but yes to answer your question 100 you can be um healthy on any diet it just depends on on what you choose but as a, a vegan or a plant-based dieter you probably 
um, if you do feel like your body changes and not necessarily in the, the better ways and you're feeling a little bit weaker in your training or overall, then maybe look to taking some supplements like vitamins and um, protein powders if you can. Okay, great, great advice. Um, so one last question. You say you, you're, you prefer your clients to be um, over 40 just because you feel like more sort of aligned with them. Um, so I'm very lucky to have uh, a mentor who's 80 plus and yeah, <laughs> and he comes in and he's had the most amazing life. He was in the army. He's traveled around the world. He's been in every single country and he comes here even during COVID. He'd like literally just come here and I'd be like, Mike, you can't come here. If, <laughs> if, I, if I get COVID and kill you, like I'd never forgive myself. And he's just like, no, I'm coming. And he he has um, he has diabetes and he's had it for like 25 years. Oh. And like today I actually was like, I keep trying to offer him like money. Let's go to dinner. He just won't accept anything. And it really like it's amazing. And I want to try and like thank him in some way. And he just won't accept anything. So today, actually, weirdly enough, um, he was sitting here and we were talking and I was like, Mike, um, you know what? I want to try and help you. So like he was telling me about, he's been having problems with diabetes and recently because he was getting the, I guess the energy's wrong with that. He started feeling like he might have Alzheimer's, but he's since yeah, you know, cause he's getting old. Like they do the, the doctors, they're just doing loads of tests. Anyway, he's back to normal completely like there. And I was just wondering, like, do you have any sort of advice from a nutritional point of view? Like, for someone who maybe has diabetes and like obviously he's a lot older I'm not not specifically for him I'm just also thinking about future listeners and stuff like that um do you have any sort of nutritional advice for things like that like that we, we can pass on and or I can pass on to him I'm sure he's going to listen to this at, at one point or another I I think with something like um uh, diabetes that is outside of my scope of practice so I I don't deal with that side of things so for me it's more um overall health and and athleticism and sports performance so I would be very I would be a little bit worried that I would say the wrong thing so I'm I think I'm <laughs> gonna enough. I think I'm gonna pass on that question <laughs> all right cool fine no worries um, all right, great. Well, look, Sherry, um, I'm so glad that I spoke to you. Um, it's actually like I wasn't expecting it to sort of go that way. That's what's so amazing about this podcast. And I just want to say really thank you for, for giving us all that insight and wisdom. And, you know, I just think that you've given me a lot of clarity about um, nutrition and how how best to you know i think the best way to describe nutrition for me is energy and how to transform that and not worry too much about all these diets and fads and binging and i just want to yeah heartfelt thanks to for coming on the podcast and i really really appreciate it and i'm sure that this is going to be amazing for some of our listeners um so one final thing that we do is we ask if there is three pieces of advice that you would give to you know one of your clients or a young person or like sherry when she was younger kind of trying to find her way um you know any any type that you'd like like what would be the three things that you would impart to to any one of those categories the first thing i would say is and i know this is very common among a lot of people, but um, I think more among the younger generation is don't hate on your body. And I cannot say that with any more um, emphasis on it. Don't hate your body. Your body is doing its absolute best to, to you know, move you forward, to, to keep you alive. You know, there might be things about your body that you don't love, but if you can change it, then then okay, try to change it. If you can't, then love it and accept it. Um, because you can, there are more important things in, in life than to focus on the things that you don't love about your body. And I, and I wish that somebody had said that to me when I was younger, you know, I've had like massive thighs as a, you know, as, as a younger kid. And I'm like, now I feel like my thighs are powerful. I'm like, I want bigger legs so I can squat heavy. You know, there's things like that. The, the trends in, in beauty standards, whether for men or women, 
they change and it's incredibly unfair that the pressures that they put on young people or people in general. So don't, don't hate on your body, love your body for what it can do. Um, and just, just, you know, give it love. The other thing I would say is don't restrict food. Um, that's saying, you know, people are like, Oh, what's the first advice would you give? Should I give up sugar? And I'm like, absolutely not. Do not restrict anything. Don't give up sugar okay. or dairy because someone else says it's good unless you've been to the doctors and that is actual medical advice. Don't restrict because as we said, you give it up for the week. And then the first thing you're going to eat because you miss it so much is, you know, whatever that you've given up. And the other thing is the last thing, third advice is to stop labeling food as good and bad because food isn't evil and food isn't good. Food is factually just energy. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sherry. That is absolutely wonderful. Um, can I ask, can you just tell us where we can like find, find you on Instagram and like all of your handles just for our listeners? Cause I'm sure there's going to be loads of people that want to sort of find and read your blogs and, you know, get to know you a little bit better. Yes. So I am, um, at munchiesandmacros.com and I am usually found making very daft reels on IG and I can be found at, so it's at munchies and macros with an underscore in between the words. Yep. Okay, great. Thank you once again for, um, coming onto the journey podcast and, um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I've really enjoyed that talk. Thank you. No worries. My pleasure. You've been listening to The Journey Podcast with Russell Hughes, the show where we share the real journeys of people who are crushing it in their industry. We hope you gain some serious value that will help guide you on your journey of never-ending constant improvement. Remember to like and subscribe, and we'll see you in the next episode.